Mac Power Users, Episode 34, Keynote. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd. Alongside with me is David Sparks. How are you, David? Doing well, Katie. Thank you. How are you today? I'm good. We're uh, getting back into the swing of things. A little more normal episode tonight. Yeah, this is why I've been looking forward to recording since we first started this show, really. I can tell by the length of the outline. <laughs> I went a little nuts, didn't I? You did go a little nuts, but that's okay. I think our, our users tend to really like it when we take one of these topics and, and go really in-depth. So um, people will either really like this one or it will they'll just breeze on by it. Stick with us. This one's got some good stuff in it. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Keynote, and we're going to be talking about Keynote really in-depth tonight. So... Um, if you're listening to this in the car or in the kitchen, you know, keep listening, but maybe go back on your computer and listen to it again a second or a third or a fourth time, you know, when you're actually in front of the application playing around with it. Yes, I think that's a good idea. You you might want to play with the app a little bit, but you can certainly get a lot of good tips out of this just listening to the show. Yeah. Um, before we talk about Keynote a little bit, um, I do want to clue our listeners in that we're doing something a little different Later this week, we haven't recorded it yet, although by the time this show is posted, hopefully it will be up as well. Uh, David and I are actually sitting down with Chuck Joyner, who does the Mac Voices podcast. And Chuck, for some reason, wants to sit down with David and I and talk about Mac Power users. So that should be kind of fun. Yeah, Chuck is one of my favorite people in all of podcasting. He does enough of them, you know? <laughs> well, if you're ever at Macworld and you see him walking around, he's always got his... Uh, Mac Voices shirt on, make sure to walk up and introduce yourself to him because he's just one of the kindest guys I know. Yeah, and he's he's he knows everything about everything in the Mac community, and he's got his camera crew, and uh, yeah, uh, Chuck is on top of things. Chuck is a great guy to know, and um, I, I'm not really sure what the agenda is. I don't know if there's an agenda, but I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Mac Power users and how we got started and um, you know, a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff in terms of how we do a show and how we come up with the topics. So if that's something that's of interest to you, um, you may want to take a listen. We will put a link in the show notes and we'll probably do a separate blog post about it on the website when it's posted. My guess is it will be posted about the same time this show is. So if, if not, when it's posted shortly thereafter. Okay. So let's dig in on keynotes and presentations. Okay. I guess the first question is why Keynote? Why not PowerPoint? Or not that there's really any other application, but you know, if you're using OpenOffice or something like that, why not one of those other alternative applications? Yeah, it's kind of funny when we decided to do this show in the um, in our master list of shows. We have one just called Presentations, and when we announced that this would be the next one during the last recordings, I said it's it's just Keynote. And yeah, it's the, funny. the show changed, huh? Yeah, you know, subconscious, you know, comes through. But uh, I just got no interest in PowerPoint. I I ran it on Windows for years, and uh, Keynote has lapped it, in my opinion, uh, for a number of reasons. Some are fair, and some are unfair. Uh, the unfair reason is because everybody uses Keynote, and it's everywhere you go. And uh, oh, I think you said that backwards. Everybody uses PowerPoint. I'm sorry. Yeah, excuse me. Uh, everybody uses PowerPoint. So. Um, no matter where you go, people are used to seeing the same themes, the same fonts. Everything is so similar that, you know, people are just kind of, they're tired of it. 
and Keynote is kind of a fresh look at, at presentations. Uh, in my opinion, it, it renders fonts beautifully. It has great transitions, and it's easier to program, so that's another great reason to use it. But uh, for a long time, I've just been a Keynote person. In fact, uh, of all the speaking I've done, you know, because I do, in addition to Mac speaking, I, I speak at the American Bar Association and some other stuff that's really not uh, Mac-centric. But whenever there's somebody there with a Mac, they always use Keynote. I don't think I've ever witnessed someone give an actual presentation using PowerPoint on the Mac. And I'm sure they're out there, but it's just not, I don't think it's very common. So uh, what I thought we'd do is focus on the stuff that we're good at. And uh, it's 79 bucks to get Keynote. If Even if you don't have any interest at all in any of the other iWork stuff, it's still a good deal in my opinion. So let's get into Keynote. Well, let's talk a little bit about the ways you can get Keynote. Obviously, as you mentioned, it's it's part of the iWork. Should I say suit of software again, like I did last week? Yes. Yeah, Please it's do. part part of the iWork suite of software. Um, of course, it includes Pages, Keynote, and Numbers. If you buy it by itself in the box off the you know retail shelf, it's uh, seventy nine dollars for a single user license, or ninety nine dollars for a family pack, which includes five users within the same household. So that's a great deal. Um, you know, if you think you might be using it among multiple people in the same household. Um, little known secret uh, is that if you buy it with a new Mac or at the same time as a new Mac, either pre-installed or just a boxed copy, you can get a pretty substantial discount. It's $49 for a single user license or $69 for that same family pack. And then if you're upgrading a current Mac and you don't have the latest version of the OS, then you may want to opt to buy the Mac box set, which is a relatively new software offering from Apple, but it includes Snow Leopard, iLife, and iWork, and that's $169 for a single user license or $229 as a family pack. And that's a really great deal if you don't have any of that software at all and you're just looking to upgrade your Mac or a bunch of Macs. Yeah, that's what I call the catch-up package. When you go over somebody's uh, house and they need help upgrading their Mac and they've got old iLife and old um, Leopard or Tiger even, you just go get the box set and then they're up to date with all their apps. Yeah, obviously making sure that their their computer can handle it. And if, if not, then you know, you're know you maybe looking at upgrading and, and then buying it as, as part of one of those other packages. Yes. So installing Keynote, simple. You know, you put the disk in. It's a it's an installer. It's Double not, click, enter yeah. your password. Yeah. Everything goes in. You're fine. Uh, um, Do run software update, though, after you install it, especially if you're installing it from a CD, because I think there have been a couple of updates to Keynote, especially to include compatibility with uh, the iWork beta, which we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. In fact, they just came out with a really nice update for pages that allows you to do EPUB. So... I keep up with it. Apple is constantly updating that iWork suite. Okay, so you've got it installed. You went out, plunked down your money. So what's so great about Keynote? Um, uh, I think to begin with is when you started up the um, the theme choices. I mean, when you you can create a new presentation, they've got a lot of nice models that are professionally laid out that that just look really nice. It's very easy just to lay out a simple presentation very quickly, even if you don't want to do anything fancy like a magic move or uh, any special effects or transitions or anything like that. If you just pick one of their um, pre-made, ready-to-go settings, already off the bat, I think you've already got a a huge advantage over a PowerPoint user and that you've got something that's really going to look unique and is really going to look professional without a whole lot of work. 
I was watching the recent Apple announcement and I was noticing that they were using the gradient theme on their keynote. That's the one I always use. It's funny. They use that on every keynote I've, I've ever seen Apple do. They always use the same theme. That's why I always use it. No. Really classy. It looks nice. Um, I've got uh, several themes that I like. Uh, one of my favorites I purchased, uh, I'll get the link for the show notes. It's called Power Blue. And there's a website, which I don't know their name, but it'll be in the show notes. And they specialize in making really professionally done keynote themes. And um, I, I've used several of theirs. I've bought several of theirs. Uh, last year at Macworld, I, I, did, I tried out one that has really interesting transitions. They took advantage of the magic move. And when you click a button, all sorts of stuff is going on on the screen. I'm not sure how much I like it. It might be too busy. But you don't have to do, stick just with the themes that are there. They've got others as well. well. One of the nice things about the themes is that each theme has a set of custom slides. Um, so they've got a special slide master built for instance, uh, bullets and one for pictures and all the different, you know, common uses you have for slides. So you've already got kind of the layout done no matter what type of slide you're building. So you get a theme, you get all the, the slides and the slide master list, you're ready to go. And then you can just start dragging and dropping in your content and, and hopefully you've already got an idea of what you want to do with your, your keynote once you've got it already. Uh, one point of warning, though, when you're using Keynote, and this is something that irks me about the whole iWork suite, is there's no autosave. Um, mm-hmm. You could work for, you know, six hours on Keynote, make the perfect Keynote, and have a power outage, lose your iMac, right? Guess what? If you didn't save, you're starting over. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Command-S is your friend, you know? It's it's just ingrained in me at this point. I just command S every slide. Every, I finish the slide, command S. I just, you know, I just do it. I've never really been burned by it, but I remember the bad old days enough to know that, you know, when you don't have an automatic save in process, you need to do something about it. Uh, there is some software out there, and uh, we'll put it in the show notes. I'm going to have to look it up there. It's been a while since I referenced one, but I know there's at least one application out there that automatically saves your... Um, your iWork stuff as you go along. In fact, I'll look that up and just right here as uh, we're talking. And then if you're assuming that your Mac is not already backing itself up regularly, whether it be with a time machine backup or whether it be with some other kind of offsite backup, especially if you're doing mission critical work in Keynote, it may not be a bad idea to save off another copy somewhere, whether it be to a flash drive or whether it be to an external you know, NAS storage device or something, you know, just in case, because we do like to have backups everywhere, especially if you're working remotely, you really hate to lose that presentation because you can spend, depending on what you're doing, hours and hours and hours on these presentations. And then once that presentation is done, the last thing you want to be doing is giving a presentation and then all of a sudden have something happen and you lose the file or the file is corrupted or the laptop doesn't make it or whatnot. So I know the last step, you know, once I'm done with a presentation, that thing gets saved in about four or five different places. Yeah, and we can talk about that a little bit later in the outline about what you do when it's done. But, you know, going through the beginning, um, uh, start with a good template, something you're happy with and comfortable with and something that's not too noisy. Um, PowerPoint is really bad about some of their templates. And, and to be honest, some of the themes in iWork... And, they and, get a little foofy. You know, I, I can't imagine I'd ever use them, but... You know, it depends, I guess, you know, your context. And there's, I'm sure there's context for most of them. The application that allows you to save automatically is called Forever Save. 
and it's got a long link, so we'll put it in the show notes. And uh, or just Google "forever save Mac" and you'll find it. And that allows you to automatic automate the process. Although I have to admit, I just use the command s trick. Okay, so we've got a, a new theme started. We've got some slides open. Um, now, you were talking about earlier dragging content in. And one of the things I like to do when I create a presentation is spend some time figuring out how I'm going to do it to begin with. And one of my favorite tools for that is, uh, there's two of them really. There's MindNode and there's uh, OmniOutliner. Both of those are outlining applications or, or mind mapping applications that allow you to, you know, figure out how to lay stuff out. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't MindNode part of the one of the latest bundles going on right now? Uh, if it is and you don't have it, it's it's well worth it. It's, it's, it's my f- very favorite mind mapping app on the Mac. It's not that I think it's $25. It's not, that, it's not very expensive for the Pro version. And the interesting thing about MindNode is it saves out to the OPML format, which is the outlining, basic outlining format. So then you can move it over to OmniOutliner, you can move it to Scrivener, you can do a lot of interesting things with it. But the best place to really outline your, your presentation is OmniOutliner because it actually will save as a keynote file. So this outline that we're working off for the show, I could turn it into a keynote with you know, one save or one export. Yeah, actually, um, for those of you who are listening to the show fairly close to after the time we publish it, MindNode Pro is actually part of the Mac Update Bundle. Um, there are probably just a couple days left in that. So if that's something you're interested in, that's going on right now. Yeah. So in on the outliner, you can export to Keynote, which is fantastic. But there's one word of warning. When you do it, you need to think about uh, your slides because absolutely the, the way it works is the, the export puts uh, a new slide for every level one outline item. Now, and you can very quickly end up with a lot of text on a slide. Yeah, so you may have, you know, um, you know, if you have three level one outlines and I don't know, you know, thirty sub points under each one, you're going to have a lot of bullet points on those pages, and you're only going to have three slides, so that's not so good. Uh, but anyway, so you can kind of, you know, work it out in on the outliner if that's what works for you, or you can do it right in Keynote because Keynote has an outline mode on the side where you can you can see the text of the bullets for each slide. Uh, so you can spend some time kind of just working with the ebb and flow of your slide uh, show and getting, you know, the words in that you need. Now, all that being said, I'd like to say one thing. Just because you can make an outline and just because you can put a bunch of bullet points in on the outliner and dump it into Kino doesn't mean you should. Absolutely not. Um, you know, say less, talk more. Exactly. One of the things I do in on the outliners, I make slides, I make level one outlines that'll just say something like, you know, chart or picture of dog or whatever. And so then I get these slides that are just basically reminders for me that I need to put something in. Uh, to be honest, I like to give presentations with almost no words at all on the screen. I mean, the, the fewer words I have on it, the better. And I'm going to kind of talk about my thoughts about presentations when I get to the end of the, the keynote discussion. But uh, you can create uh, create your presentations from outlines. Just beware that you don't you know, take advantage of that to create a really dull and boring presentation that nobody wants to see. And I think that's the the biggest complaint that people get about presentations is, you know, we're we're all fairly intelligent people. Don't 
give me a, an outline and then read it to me. Don't give me a keynote and then sit there and read it to me. This is, you know, this is the money shot on all of this stuff. A, a presentation is not a replacement for your speech. No. I, I think what's happened is that people have abused presentations that, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people are nervous. You don't want to get up and speak in front of an audience. And you're afraid the biggest fear that you have, if you don't do a lot of public speaking is I'm going to get up there and I'm going to forget what my name is. I'm not going to forget what I'm supposed to say. And I'm just going to have this blank stare on my face. So most people don't forget their name. Well, okay. But they're, they're legitimately afraid they will. So what, what they do is they say, okay, I have the ultimate rescue. I'm going to have shared cue cards with the entire audience. I'm going to write my whole speech out and just stick it up on the screen. And when the presentation starts, I'm going to stand up there, turn my back to the audience and just read it to them. And that way I will never forget my name. I won't forget what I'm supposed to say and it'll be fantastic. And it has just the opposite effect. It's terrible. And uh, there's ways around that, but uh, that is the big fear. And, and so what my, what I always say is, a presentation exists to enhance your speech. It does not exist to replace it. And that's, I think, the, the point so many people miss. And even I just went to back to school night for my kids recently. And the teachers were giving these keynotes. And they were terrible. And they, they were doing exactly that. They, they had written down everything they wanted to say, turned around, and just said it to us. And I was thinking, if I did that in front of a jury or you know, a big meeting, uh, you know, I should be taken out and shot because it's just, it's terrible. Nobody got anything. You, your mind wanders the moment they turn their back to you. Okay. Can I get off my soapbox yes, now? T- down off the soapbox. Okay. Move on. So we talked about creating a presentation uh, from outlines and uh, kind of the benefits of the masters. And I kind of glazed over that. But uh, when you have a presentation in keynote, there is a masters button up in the uh, toolbar. And if you just click that, it'll open up and show you all these great sample masters. And you can just click any one of those and add it to your presentation. And then you've got a great way uh, form, to format your presentation without having to do all the thinking. Yeah, I think there are about a dozen or so of them. And they, they cover just about any type of slide that you would want to do. And then you can always tweak them a little bit here or there if you want to change the format a little bit. I use these all the time, and especially I use them a lot of time when I sometimes mess things up because I've tweaked them too much and I just need to go back to baseline. Yeah, the other benefit of that is it lets you uh, have uniform formatting between slides. You know, when you start doing it yourself, um, you're going to have bullets on the left side on one, right side on the next, and I just think that lack of uniformity causes a distraction to your audience, and you don't want that. So, you know, get some nice masters, use them over and over again. To be honest with you, though, um, my most common slide is just a blank one. I'll start with a slide with just nothing on it, but, you know, whatever the theme is. And then I'll put a picture or a word in the middle. I, I don't like to use a lot of a lot of that stuff. Okay, so we've covered kind of the, the beginning of getting this, this super keynote going. Let's stop for a moment and talk about our first sponsor, Smile on My Mac. Smile on My Mac has a new product that just launched last week, and that is PDF Pen version 5. I know you're very excited about this, David, as am I. Yeah, well, they, they made a lot of improvements. I've always had a warm spot in my heart for PDF Pen because uh, I feel like Adobe has kind of abandoned us Mac users. They've got, one, they've got one product. They've got you know, Adobe Acrobat Pro, which is, I think, 450 bucks if you buy it from, from Adobe. And on the PC, they've got, you know, they've got Adobe Acrobat Standard, which is like 100 bucks. 
And for some reason, they've decided never to make that product for the Mac. So if you want to buy the Adobe PDF app on the Mac, you got to spend almost $500. And PDF Pen just fills that void so nicely. It's an application that has got most of the features you've got in Adobe Acrobat. The stuff they leave behind is stuff that, frankly, most people don't need. And uh, they just keep making it better. Now, this new version 5 is 64 bits. Uh, one of the so big it's pretty pro- screaming fast. Well, it's not the speed so much from the 64 bits, but it's the ability to open really large files. Right. And, uh, you know, I was in on the beta. I think you were too, weren't you? Mm-hmm. And I'm playing one of the, while. yeah, one of the first tests I did, I've got, and to be, to be honest, I don't have the latest version of Adobe Acrobat Pro because I didn't want to spend the money on it, but I did spend the 450 bucks to buy version eight. So I bought Adobe Acrobat Professional eight. I've still got it installed. Mm, sucker. Yeah, it really was a sucker, to be honest with you. But anyway, so I've always had this problem because I build these huge PDF files for my work. And especially since the, the my beloved iPad has entered my life, um, I'm even more aggressive about making these PDFs. And I bookmark them all. So I've got one PDF file I can put on my Mac, put it on my iPad, and have all the files I need for whatever I'm working on. Well, some of those files get pretty big. And I was having trouble with PDF pin crashing on them. And I was having the same problem with Adobe Acrobat. And, but with a new version, 64 bits, I'm getting much better performance and is able to open those big files no problem, which is a great feature. Yeah, one of my new favorite features of PDF Pen Pro 5, or PDF Pen 5, it doesn't even have to be the Pro version, um, is that it now has a very easy feature to redact uh, items in PDFs. Obviously, as an attorney, that comes in very handy. And by redacting, you, mean you can block it out or blur out words or something you don't want to share. Right. It's also got a diskew feature. So when the scans go in and they're crooked, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they always do. Yeah, so it, it can fix those for you. So, that, you know, they've made some really nice updates. They haven't raised the price of the application. It's still 50 bucks for PDF Pen or $100 for PDF Pen Pro, which adds the ability to add bookmarks and adds the ability to create your own forms. And uh, they still have all the same great old features like OCR um, it's a fraction of the price of Acrobat, and I think it's really the best solution for handling your PDF uh, management on the Mac. Yeah, and you can try it before you buy. Smile on my Mac does have a 90-day money-back guarantee, or you can download a free trial. You can find all of their software uh, over at smilesoftware.com. And thanks to Smile for their support of our podcast. I have to train myself. I, I still call them Smile My Mac sometimes. Yes, but, they, but it is Smile Software. They do a lot more now. They cover the Mac and the iOS devices, so they're just Smile. Right. Okay, so let's get back to Keynote. Um, let's talk a bit about objects. Okay. So objects are the stuff you put on your slides. You know, We've talked about getting your, your perfect theme and you know, getting the, the master that you want. So now you're going to fill it up with stuff. What are you going to put on it? Um, you can put text, graphics, tables, pictures, movies, charts. So you can, you've got all these different objects, and Keynote allows you to create these things and just drag them onto the screen. Um, once you put them on the screen, it works like a image application, really. You can draw it on, you can move it, you can copy it. I mean, the easiest way to copy it is uh, Command-D. So let's say I've got um, a little lightning bolt for something I'm making, and I want seven of them on the page. I'll, I'll lay one out in there. Just select it and then hit Command-D seven times. I've got everything I need to drag them around and arrange it on the page. Right. You can rotate. You can shift things around. They've even got um, the Instant Alpha feature, which works really well to block out or to to 
I guess you would call it to to blotch out the background of something. Yeah. Yeah, it's really annoying when you see a presentation and someone pulls in a graphics from Google Images or whatever. And and all you've got is this white on the background? Yeah, you see the square, you see, or the rectangular image shot. And you really like it's a baseball. And it's a baseball with a white background. And what happens is they just drag the image on there and they don't do anything else. So it looks really awkward because you want the great, for instance, if you're using the gradient background, you want that gradient behind the baseball. You don't want a baseball on a white background over a gradient. It just looks funny. So using the instant alpha feature, it's in the toolbar. You just click it uh, to enable the tool. Then you click the mouse in the white area behind the baseball. You pull it, uh, uh, click and drag the mouse, and it will literally remove the background for you. And when you're done, you hit return, and you've got just the baseball and then the gradient background. It looks great, and it takes all of about 30 seconds. I use this feature all the time. I do a lot of presentations for my local um, Mac users group. And a lot of times I'm talking about Apple products. I'm talking about what's new with Apple products. And where do I snag a lot of those images for my keynotes? Apple's website. But sometimes sometimes Apple's blocked out the background for me. Sometimes it's got this, you know, ugly white background on top of this gradient you know, keynote presentation that I'm using. So yeah, the instant alpha feature works really well and it, it, it can be customized too. You know, if it's, if it's especially like you're, you're trying to blot out a, a, a white iPhone or a, or a aluminum iMac or something that's, that's kind of got some white in it that you may, you know, the colors tend to bleed together. You can really get in there and tweak it and fine tune it. And it's, it's, it's borderline magical. Yeah, the instant alpha feature also exists in pages and numbers and also preview. So, uh, and preview has some other interesting image tools. So sometimes if you've got a product or a, a picture with like a shadow behind it and instant alpha doesn't quite get it, you can finish it off using preview, but that's probably another show. Uh, yeah. And then of course you can mask and crop and rotate and, and do things like that. It, it, Keynote is obviously not a full-blown image editor. If you really need to do image manipulation, it's best to manipulate that image and then bring it into Keynote. But it, it will get by with a lot of things. Pretty amazing how much you can do with Keynote, though, uh, just using the built-in tools. Um, a note about rotating. Uh, I think presentations um, is one of the best places to rotate an image. You know, if you have a picture of something and you've got words on the screen, sometimes a little bit of a tilt or rotation makes it look really nice. And Keynote uses the same methodology that just about every other Mac app does, if you didn't know it. When you've got the little handles, you know, when you select an object, you get the resizing handles all around the side. If you mouse over it and then hold down the command key, then it, the handles, the arrow turns into like a little like curved arrow. And mm-hmm. as you rotate it, you can rotate the object. And, you know, if, if your Keynote presentation looks a little stale, go in and rotate a few of your images and you might be surprised. It gives it a little more pop. Uh, another thing you can do with these objects is you can put them in relation to each other. And uh, there's a couple ways to do that in Keynote. They, there's a no master... No more eyeballing? It, yeah, no more eyeballing. A lot of times eyeballing is enough, frankly, if you've got simple slides. But there is a way you can apply grid in the settings. Um, but even easier is using the, the smart guides. Uh, so Keynote has a way when you put two objects on the screen and you move one of them, it immediately starts measuring the distances. So if you start, if you have the two lightning bolts that I was talking about earlier, you've got one on the left side and one on the right side. If you, if you start dragging one, it'll give you kind of a snap line when you've got them at the exact same horizontal position. 
Uh, if you pull one towards the center, it'll give you a snap line when it hits the exact center. Um, it's a really great way to work, especially when you end up like four or five objects on a screen and you want them to line up nicely. It, it, it's really fast. So you, have you ever used that feature? I use that feature all the time. You know, if yeah. you've got like four little iPod shuffles that you all want to line up in a row. Yeah, and it also works with words too. So when you drag words, um, one of my keynote tricks sometimes if I give a presentation is I will outline the presentation with like introduction and explanation and conclusion at the top. And then I'll keep those words up there through the presentation. And then one of them will highlight to a different color as I switch from each topic. And it gives the audience kind of a visual cue of where we are, where we're going. And they don't start wondering, you know, when how is much guy- longer. Exactly. It kind of gives them kind of a signpost. And, you know, you want to get those to line up perfectly. Well, using this, this snapping methodology, you can do it very quickly. And once you've got it there, it just looks right. You don't have to worry about it. And that used to be a very complicated process. But now it's easy to make them all on the same level, same line, center it on the page. It's no problem. So, you know, those uh, smart guys, I think they're called smart guides, are the way to go in terms of signing uh, your objects along with each other. Yeah, Apple really has put a lot of thought into making it easy to make really effortlessly good looking presentations, uh, giving the presenters a lot of tools uh, that I, I really don't understand why some of these other products haven't incorporated them. It's it's just a joy to work in Keynote compared to some of these other programs, if you've ever worked in them. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. The Smart Guides is probably leads to the first alternative use for Keynote. We got an email from someone saying, well, what else can I use Keynote for? If if I, I, yeah, if I don't give presentations, if I don't have a job or I don't have to give presentations, what do I do with it? Keynote is a basic graphics app. I mean, you can draw circles, squares, images, whatever you need. You can align them up with the smart guides, and you can make a slide. That is a that is a piece of graphic art that you can use for something else to put into a word processing document or whatever. And because it snaps together so easily, uh, you can make really nice diagrams very quickly in it. And then just just do a screenshot. What is it? Command Shift Four. Right. And you can just drag a screenshot over that image, and then you've got a PNG image of that of that slide. Or you could export the slide if you wanted to get fancy. But either way, you can create graphics using Keynote. So if you don't want to, you know, do a presentation, but you want to make a graphic image, if you've already got iWork on your computer, load up Keynote. See if you can make your graphics in Keynote. There's, I guess, there's one use for it. I've got a couple other ideas as we go through the show. Okay. Enough about uh, aligning objects. Let's talk a little bit about some of the specific objects. Uh, the first is text. Um, you can create text boxes, and uh, there's several different ways you can set them up on the screen. They use the smart guide, so you can align them. Uh, but if you're going to do text in Keynote, I recommend using the text inspector. Uh, Keynote's one of these apps that has an inspector, so get familiar with it, and you'll get most of the customization needs that you could come across are in the inspector. And if you're new to Keynote, if you've never used it before, you may, especially if you're coming from other applications, you may find yourself saying, uh, you know, struggling, where do I find this feature? How do I do this? How do I set something up into bullets? How do I set my spacing between my bullets? All of those, most of those things that you're looking for, if you're not finding them immediately in the menus or in the menu bar, most of what you're looking for is going to be in the inspector. So if that's any advice that I could give to a new Keynote user that's that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck is spending a little bit of time becoming familiar with the inspector right off the bat. Yeah. 
And in the inspector, you can set frames for your text boxes. So if you want to put your words in a frame or if you want to put a border around them, all that can be adjusted. One of the uh, the best tips about using text in Keynote is getting comfortable with the little plus sign that shows up. Sometimes when you're working in a text box, if your text no! exceeds... What? I hate the little plus sign. Well, what happens is if your text exceeds the size of the box, then it won't automatically resize the box. It will um, just give you that little plus sign. And that tells you, hey, there's more text here. So you can either resize the box... If you want, you just drag the edge and, and make it. But big. then sometimes you throw your alignment off. Yeah. Or you could hit the little, you could click the little plus sign and then it'll automatically shrink the text to fit in the box. I like that better. It just depends. But, you know, it lets you know when you've exceeded your allotment of space. So then I think a lot of people get confused by that because you can't see the text and don't know where it went. So uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, anything else about text? Well, it does uh, have built-in spell check, thank goodness. Yeah, that's nice. So you get the little red dotted line. I think an interesting point about text is using hyperlinks. Um, the In the Keynote Inspector, there's a hyperlink tab, and you can select an object or a bit of text and give it a hyperlink. And I've done this on some presentations when, I, uh, when I'm talking to a group of people, and it's one of these kind of extemporaneous or interactive presentations where we're talking about different things and questions from the audience may want me to get to a different section of my deck. So uh, I've created an index slide and I'll have one slide with either some icons or some words on it. And each one will be hyperlinked to a different section of the presentation you with me so far. Oh, I can tell you my favorite use for this, but go ahead. Okay. And then what I do is I put, I make a little icon. I built one years ago. I kind of recustomize it to be on the presentation and I, it's a little home. And then I put that in the bottom of each Slide, you know, because in Keynote, you can automatically uh, apply formatting with the command V or right, right. pasting. So you get it in one slide, you hyperlink it to your index slide, and you just flip through your whole deck and just command V to each slide, and you just put that in each slide. It's kind of like a little hypercard stack. Sort of. So yeah. so then you, as you're going through it, and, then you, and someone says, well, what about this issue? And then you click on that issue on the index slide, you go to the five slides about that, then you click the home, and you go back to the index, and they say, well, what about that issue? And you can jump around that way. And it allows you to have kind of an interactive presentation. Tell me your favorite. Use. Kind of in that same vein. I've, I've used Keynote before, not so much in my, my current job, but when I was in law school and in my previous job before that, um, to create an interactive Jeopardy game. Oh, cool. Yeah, where my, um, my what you would call your index slide was basically the Jeopardy board, where across the top we had a couple of different categories. And, you know, you had 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 you know, you're familiar with the Jeopardy board layout, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, where you would click a category, you would click a question and it would hyperlink. It would take you to a different slide. It, it you know, it, it took a little bit of figuring out, you know, to figure out how to do it the first time. But then once you did it, I just saved the template. You can use it for whatever. Um, and it would it would take you to a question uh, click. It would take you to the answer. And then again, like you said, you would have a home button. It would take you back home. Um, and then you would set it so that once it was clicked on, you know, that the, you know, Mac power users for a hundred link, you know, after it had been clicked on would be grayed out. And it was, it was really cool. And then at some point, I think we even went overboard and had a little music play, but that got annoying very fast. Yeah, but it did. <laughs> but it, it was, uh, it was very cool. It was a good, it was a good, I think I used it to, um, in a class that I was TAing for, I think we created it as a, as a study guide. I think it was, I'll, I'll take torts for a thousand. 
It was it's a- funny. You know, uh, you're the second person who's told me about making Jeopardy with Keynote. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so hyperlinks are, are a neat little tool and they work with text. They work with all the different objects we're going to talk about, but that's got some use. I think they, they particularly are useful with text if you're going to do an index slide type situation. Or Jeopardy. Or Jeopardy, yes. In addition to text, you can create lines and shapes, and it's just like you would expect. There's a tool to create them on the screen. Uh, you can drag them, make them bigger. bigger. Uh, the inspectors differ depending on what type of object you have. If you've got a, a shape, you can change the gradient and the fill and the shadow. With the lines, you can change the, the endpoints. So depending on what you're doing, uh, you, can, you can do quite a bit with that. I find that the graphics I do in my presentations are usually just made with uh, keynote graphics. I try to do pretty basic stuff. I don't uh, for- do many graphics. I do some arrows and maybe a star or two, but I'm, I'm not very graphically inclined. Well, I've got, a, uh, I've got a timeline, a basic timeline I use when I'm not using Timeline 3D. And then I've got you know some different like tricks I use. Uh, I also use another application, OmniGraphle to make more complex charts right. and graphics. And I can put those in Keynote as an object as well. And the trick there is you, you build it in OmniGraphle, then you save it with a transparent background as a PNG image. And that does essentially an instant alpha at creation. So you get a really clean image and drag it into, you just save the image to your desktop, drag it into a Keynote slide, and you're good to go. So you know they've got a lot of nice graphics tools in Keynote if there's not enough there for you, go with something like OmniGraphle to build more. And then you can always import them into Keynote. Yeah. And, you know, the other applications that you can use uh, that are typically used in creating stuff for Keynote, I use uh, OmniGraph um, Sketcher, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of, if you're making a chart and you want a really fancy one. Uh, Pixelmator will work. Photoshop, uh, if you're a Photoshop person, you can bring stuff in. Yeah, I use Sketch quite a bit, especially when I'm documenting screenshots and things like that. Yeah, that's a good idea for using Sketch. So, and all this stuff is real simple. You either save it, uh, ideally you save it as a PNG image and you drag it in. Uh, but, you know, you can just shoot a screenshot and by default, Mac OS X uh, makes a, a PNG screenshot. So you're good. You know, you bring it in. Uh, I think PNG works better uh, with removing the transparent background than JPEG if possible. Now, do you have some of the same graphics that you use over and over again? And what do you do with those? Uh, it depends. I, I've got stuff I use repeatedly. Sometimes I just keep them in a folder. It depends if it's just one project where I use repeated graphics. I just keep them in a folder. If it's stuff I use over and over again, you can save it to the uh, to the Mac uh, media browser. You know, you can add stuff to that, and then that's accessible from within Keynote. So you can pull that up anytime and pull repeated graphics out of that. Now let's talk a little bit about charts and tables because you can do some of them within Keynote um, or you can use numbers and import them from there if you want to get a little fancier with your charts and tables. Can and you do de- some of both? Or? Yeah, I would say most of my stuff is is built in Keynote. I use numbers all the time. I'm a big fan of numbers. But uh, I like to have really simple charts and graphs. If If a chart takes a lot of time to figure out, then it's probably it's not It's probably a pro- too complex for a slide. Yeah, and so if I have simple stuff, I'll uh, I'll do it in Keynote. And the reason I li- I prefer the Keynote charts and tables is that you know they match the theme. You know they have built in like you know whichever theme you pick, they've already got a sample pie chart, for instance, or whatever you're doing. Uh, so it's nice to just use the built-in stuff, but it, it depends. I mean, it, the audience and what type of uh, 
a presentation you're doing. Sometimes you may need the more complex stuff and then you may have an audience where it's appropriate. And in that case, I like to use numbers. So what about photographs, getting photographs into your keynote presentations? Are you pulling stuff in from iPhoto? Or are you uh, using that media browser that we talked about? Or how are you getting everything in without making your keynote files overwhelming? Because these things can get pretty big. Yeah, it's the same thing. It depends on the type of presentation for the law stuff. Usually I've got a, a stack of photos that I want to use in a presentation and I'm not going to put them in my media browser because I'm not going to use them on the next case. They're all specific to whatever I'm dealing with. Right. Um, so what I like to do is uh, just keep a folder and, and drag them in. Now, it's interesting though, how do you put them in your presentation? Because it used to be forced on you. You had to have a separate slide for each photo. Uh, but now... Uh, Keynote's got some interesting tools where you can drag a bunch of, uh, you can create essentially a slideshow on one slide and you can drag a bunch of pictures in and pick a transition and it'll, it'll work through all those pictures in one slide, which is pretty nice. Uh, I use that sometimes. I still have to admit though, I do like to go back to the one slide per photo because for legal stuff, once again, excuse me, um, you have, well, not only that you have exhibit numbers and you have, um, you have other lawyers who sometimes object, you know, because when you give a presentation in court, at least in California, you got to share it with the other side. And uh, they say, hey, I don't like this picture and I'm going to object to it. And the judge might say, hey, Sparky, get that one out of your presentation. Well, it's a lot easier just to pull a, a slide out than to right. go through a, a built uh, transition build and try and find it and remove it and not screw everything up. So uh, I'm kind of old school on that. But then I have had situations where Transition builds work great, like when we're doing something with a family or, you know, something for Max Sparky, I'll, I'll jump right on that. Now, I've had a couple of cases where I've thrown movies into keynotes, and I found that this can be somewhat hit or miss. Sometimes they autoplay, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they play well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes I just end up with a big black blob on the screen, and sometimes the movies play. What, what's your experience there? I, I think movies are great so long as... You know, you use some use some common sense about whether it's appropriate or not. Uh, one time, I had a, I had a case that involved, of all things, a former nudist colony that they were doing some property development. Oh, on. I think that's a bad case for a movie. <laughs> bad. <laughs> no, no, this was like from the like fifties. This land had just like sat dormant, and uh, so uh, I had a client who had it, and there was a big fight over it. I don't want to get into that, but. Uh, it was out in the middle of nowhere and I wanted to kind of convey to everyone. Where I would is hope this, so. You know, I, I wanted to convey to everyone, where is this property and you know, what's it look like? And you know, we had some pictures, people were walking around taking pictures, but it just didn't give you the right feel. So I used uh, an application. What was, what's that um, screen capture application where it's not ScreenFlow? No, no. ScreenFlow is awesome. I show you. I show you. Yeah. I, sh I show you was perfect for this need because it just, you just, I just wanted to capture and I show you can define what you're capturing, all right? Like you can just do a, a draw a little box and capture everything that happened in that box. So then I went to Google Earth and I dialed in the um I dialed in the property where it's located, out in the middle of nowhere in California, essentially. And uh and so I, I did a movie where the the globe spinned and it zoomed in and it came down and hit the property and it's it was several acres, so it was a big plot of land and and then I had the, the camera, I clicked on the camera so it would rotate because there were some hills and mountains there. So it looked like almost like this flyby, you know, <laughs> where 
you see the globe. And Another you one from down. the Max Sparky graphics department. Yeah, you just zoom down here and you come on it and it flew back and it just and it was a movie, the whole thing, and I sped it up so it wasn't too long and the whole thing took like, I don't know, 20 seconds and I was talking while I was doing this and the jurors are sitting there with their mouths open and then the best thing in the world that could ever happen to an attorney happened. Uh, the animation it did and I just stopped for a dramatic pause and the judge goes, Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, so I think movies are useful so long as you are smart about when you use them and, you know, how, uh, how, you know, how they fit into your presentation. Uh, you can set in Keynote where the movie starts, where it ends. You can set, you know, what's the, um, what's the slide, what's the, what's the image you see on the slide. Um, just don't go nuts with them. I mean, they have to actually serve a purpose. Don't put them in just to have them in. Uh, but that's another use for Keynote is you can use it as a movie viewer. I've seen people that just made, um, they wanted to show a bunch of movie clips and they made a keynote presentation and they put a, they filled the screen with a clip on each one. And so you could have a nice transition if you wanted one word between one, you know, the next entry or whatever. And uh, if you had a bunch of shorts, it would work just fine. So you could, you know, stop in between and play them. You wouldn't have to fiddle with a DVD or some other, you know, funky way of moving between movies. So that's another use for keynote. All right. Um, so we talked about using Keynote as kind of a as a video player, and we talked about it as a um, graphics application. You know, another thing you could use it for is as a kiosk. Um, uh, I went to a conference, and somebody had a 27-inch iMac out, and they had built a Keynote presentation that was all self-driven, mm-hmm. using hyperlinks and everything. And all they had was a 27-inch iMac and a mouse. And people were walking up, and they'd click it, and then they could jump to whatever point of the uh, sales pitch that they wanted to watch. And, you know, it was, it was pretty remarkable to see people lining up to do that. Oh, I'm sure. And you could put in movies, you could put in pictures, you do yeah. all kinds of things. Another use you could use keynote for is a video effects processor. I mean, we didn't really talk a lot about, um, how you can animate objects, but keynote's got some great animation tools. So you could animate words or objects and you could save that out as a movie file and then put it in iMovie. Oh, yeah. You know, I th- you do this quite a bit for your screencast, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, a lot of times when I do a screencast, it's, it's, I'm not using motion. I just do it in Keynote. It's easier. I'm not that smart. Cheap, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe this is a good time. We've been going on for a while to talk about our next sponsor, 1Password. Yes, let's talk about 1Password. So I, I had another interesting uh, saga. You know, last week I, I talked about my credit card, or last episode I talked about my credit card getting swiped. Uh, well, I don't know, but it's it happened to me again. And uh, I've really gone gone crazy on the on the bandwagon. So 1Password and I are, are, are spending some quality time together. All of my passwords now are, are super strong, super encrypt. I do not think that any of that was a single point of failure. I... I honestly think that I've I've got a, a merchant who's got a security breach that was causing my my cards to get stolen. So hopefully this is has worked its way through the system. Um, but you know, one of my initial points of nervousness about having one password literally generate all my passwords and not having any idea what any of my passwords were for any of my websites. Um, was just that is, you know, I've got my iPhone on me all the time. I've got my iPad around. I've got my Mac around. Um, but especially at work, maybe not having access to, to one password if I need to do something here or there. So what, what is the solution? 
Well, I uh, I downloaded and fired up the uh, one password for Windows beta recently this past week, and uh, gotta tell you, even for a beta, it it is working really well. I uh, shared out the one password keychain through Dropbox. And it, it sucked in all the information. It linked up with uh, Internet Explorer and Firefox. I don't think it currently supports Safari in the beta. Um, but I am, I'm just as pleased as I can be. And it's seamless and secure. And uh, I'm, I'm very happy with it. Now with one password, you can do passwords right. It can create uh, really secure passwords with just one click of the mouse right from within your browser. And in the same process, it'll save that password to your 1Password database. So the next time you go there, you don't have to go look it up. Um, it's all fully encrypted. You can, if you're worried about copy, you can make a copy for yourself and put it on an encrypted thumb drive if you're worried about losing it. But, you know, it finally breaks that bad habit of having one or two passwords used on multiple sites. So when you get corrupt anywhere, you're corrupt everywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I was really nervous about going to the super strong passwords, but... Uh, all of my passwords now are minimum 15 to 25 random generated characters. And um, it was really easy. One password, although it was time consuming to go to every single site and change my password, within one password made it very easy to change my password. It remembered it. It kept track of my old passwords in case I ever needed them. Um, it auto-generated the passwords. It, it, I just uh, The auto-generate password feature... Um, I could I could look at the site and say okay it it had to be between this many and this many characters so I'd set my slider um, and I am I am locked down and it, it's been a week or two now rolling that way and um, haven't had any problems I was really nervous but no problems whatsoever getting access to all my stuff and you know it's funny because people will uh, get, see the light eventually my I used to talk about how my wife thought I was crazy with all these nutty passwords and just the other day she was making a new website and she was using one password she says you know what I get it now you good know? so it's a great application uh, we're really pleased to announce that they've uh, renewed with us so they're going to be sponsoring the Mac Power users uh, for a bit longer and we really appreciate their support and thank one password thank you one password okay so we've got a great presentation. Uh, now it's day. It's time to go give your presentation. You know, presentation day. Uh, so I thought I'd just kind of talk about a few of the things that I like to to make sure I always cover. Um, uh, preparing your Mac to present. Uh, first thing is before you show up, while you're still in your office and before you're in front of people and got it, everything over to a projector, di- disable and shut down any of the apps that you don't want running. I mean, I you know you don't want like Twitter showing up talking about, you know, what your friend ate for breakfast right well, in the middle of the presentation. I would even say before you give a presentation, restart your Mac. Yeah, that's a good idea too. But I think that, you know, make sure that you're not auto running any apps that you don't want running when you've got a group of people looking at the screen. Yeah. Um, you also want to spend some time setting up the presenter display. It's another feature that I really like in Keynote. It's a customizable presenter display. So you can have it show whatever information you want on your Mac uh, while the presentation plays on the projector. Um, so, for instance, you can show what's the next slide. You can show what time it is or how long, how much time has elapsed. Uh, it's very nice once you get up there because you don't want to be working off notes. You can use your screen to, to give you cues. And you can also, I, I like having the clock and I like having the elapsed time because I know exactly how long I've been up there. Usually I have so much time allotted for, for my portion of a presentation or usually I'm allowed to go to a certain time and I, I don't have to keep asking someone, how do, am I out of time? How much time do I have? Or how long can I go? Or something like that. Yeah, and give some thought to once you get there, where are you going to put your Mac? So you can see 
that that information, but it, nobody else can. You don't want to distract the audience with having them watch the timer on your screen. Uh, make sure you've got AC power, bring an extension cord or whatever. You don't want the screen dimming or the, the Mac shutting down halfway, but put it in a safe location where there's no tripping. I actually have a presentation box. Uh, it's just a, it's a toolbox. You know, I've got an extra bulb for the projector. I've got uh, one of those little power strips. I've got a really long extension cord, um, duct tape so I can tape down if I need to, you know, just the basic stuff, but just uh, the basic stuff, extra bulb duct tape, well, <laughs> you know, the, the presentations are important. If you spend that much time get, preparing for it, you want to actually be able to give it when you get there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, my, my, uh, I'm so anal retentive about it. I even bring my daughter's Mac. She loses it for a day and it sits in my trunk with the presentation on it just in case. Um, another thing I do with that, uh, I didn't put this in the outline is, you know, when you finish a presentation, you can save it in keynote as a PDF or various other formats. But one of the best things you can do is you can export it as a quick time movie. Um, so you can take your presentation and it'll save it and you can set it. So it advances on pa- upon mouse clicks as part of the movie. You know, that's, a, that's one of the quick time APIs is you can set a movie that stops until you click the mouse. So Keynote will create a, a version of your presentation that looks just like you're playing it in Keynote, but it's just a movie. And every time you click the mouse, it, it does the next build. The good thing about this is anything that runs Keynote, I would say anything that runs QuickTime can play your presentation. So if you get there and for some reason, every Mac in the building simultaneously combusts, you can get a Windows laptop that has QuickTime on it and just stick your thumb drive in, copy over your QuickTime file, and you're good to go. You ever played with that? I, I knew you could export as a movie, but I, I hadn't thought of using it as the ultimate backup. That's a good yeah, idea. It is any important presentation, do it. Just put it in your box. I've never needed to use it, but uh, anytime someone's paying me to talk, I always have that in my bag, just in case. I've, I've exported mine as a PDF and I've exported mine as a PowerPoint before so that if push came to shove, I could give it on somebody's PC as a PowerPoint. Um, Ooh, but you're right. A, that, that, no, that's an absolute last resort. It would be much prettier to give it as a, as a QuickTime movie. Uh, in fact, if you're listening to the show, you're forbidden to Okay, export don't do that. Bad idea. As PowerPoint. That's just bad. I, I can't talk about that anymore. Okay, moving on. Okay, so projectors and screens, you know, if you've got one, practice with it before you get there. If you're borrowing one, get there really early and make sure you can get through everything and it all works. There's nothing worse than spending all this time getting a presentation going and then showing up and not being able to give it because some kind of hardware malfunction. And definitely test your hardware before you show up. Even if you've got the extra bulb or whatnot, you don't want to be changing it on site unless you have to. Dry run, dry run, baby, as many times as you can. The um, oh, Another thing is when you get there, play through the presentation once all the way. I, I think it fills the cache. It may be just my imagination, but I feel like once the computer's gone through the whole presentation once, if there's a movie or if there's some heavy graphics, it's hopefully already in memory. And it doesn't have to think to load it. In fact, I've seen that with movies, that if you play through the presentation first, uh, when you get to, to the real show, uh, it doesn't take as long to load the movie because it's already in memory. Uh, another nice tip about that is when you build your presentation, I always put a blank slide at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah, uh, you know, I like that. And that way, 
uh, when people come in the room, if you don't have a, a slide up there, say what the heck you're talking about, you just have a nice clean screen. You don't want people walking in and seeing uh, keynote. You don't want them seeing, you know, the, the, the guts of the app. You want them to see a nice clean slide. And the same thing at the end. Um, when someone gives a presentation and they get to their last slide and they click once more and then it opens up PowerPoint or Keynote and you see all of a sudden the, the workings of this application, you know, it's kind of rookie. You know, you want to have an extra slide at the end so people never see that. Okay. Now, what uh, kind of um, what kind of remotes do you use? Because I know you have a, I've, I sometimes use the Apple remote, but I know you don't like that. Don't use the Apple remote. Bad. Mm-hmm. Bad, 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 bad. It's it's infrared. So, so uh, so you could run into issues. First off, anybody in the room with an Apple remote can mess you up unless well, you've you got it locked it. down. Unless yeah, you've got it paired. If you do use an Apple remote, in the name of all that is holy, please pair <laughs> please it. Please pair it. Because there's always one joker in the room. Who's, in who's activating front row. Yeah. And so. Uh, and if there's it, not, it's me. Yeah. So the other problem, or even accidentally, I mean, it's just so easy if it's not paired to, because then the Mac will advance from any Apple remote. Uh, the other thing is with the Apple remote, it's line of sight because it's infrared. So if there's a book or some, for some reason that line of sight is lost, you're standing up there saying, you know, and next I'm going to talk about this and you push the button and then nothing happens and you push it again, nothing happens and you look down at the remote and you push it again and everybody in the room at this point is much more interested in watching you under pressure than actually whatever the content of it, what it is you were speaking about. I've noticed a lot of times that these projectors tend to be set up on carts so that they can be moved back and forth and that those carts tend to have a little bit of a lip to them. And if you've set your Mac up next to the projector on that cart, that little bit of a lip can be just enough that it covers the IR port. Yeah. Well, if it's going to go wrong, it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment. So just don't expose yourself to that. Now, you yours can, is a yours has got a USB dongle. What is yeah, yours? Yeah, I covered it in one of the shows. Right. I think we talked about our bags, and I'll, I don't remember the name of it. I've had we'll it for years. Stick it in the show notes. Yeah, but you know, it's got a USB dongle, plugs in the side. It it it's got a couple buttons on it. You can advance the presentation. You can go backwards. You can push one button, and the whole screen turns black, which is nice if you don't, if you want people to look at you. You can just shut the screen black, and it's got a laser pointer. It doesn't have too many you know, bells and whistles, but it has what I need and I've had it for years and it works fine. I like the screen black thing. Yeah. I, I know that there are some iPhone apps. Yeah. They're horrible. Yeah, Just the idea of it is a bad idea. You know, I, this sounds silly. I bought one. I bought one. I bought Apple. Apple's has one for 99 cents that you could buy. Um, the iPhone gets really heavy. Well, what I find is that, um, uh, I don't want to look down at the thing and I don't want to have to be, I don't want people to watch me advance, you know, with a, with a remote in your hand, it's very subtle. You know, nobody really notices your finger trigger that. But if every time you want to advance a slide, you have to look down and swipe your finger across the phone. I think that's a distraction. And I kind of have the same complaint with doing them from the iPad. We're going to, we didn't put the iPad in the show because we knew it was going to be too long, but uh, we'll probably do at some point a show about, you know, working with the iPad or iPad presentations. But that's one of the issues I have with it is advancing. It is kind of tedious. You have to look down and swipe. I, I love having that remote in my hand and it just a slide advance as if it's magic, you know, gets out of the way. Uh, you want, you want as few barriers between you and the audience as possible. Effortlessly. That's how yeah. it's supposed to be. 
It's how it's supposed to look at all. It's not going to be that way, but it's how it's supposed to look. So uh, finally, let's just kind of talk about some presentation tips. I don't care whether you use PowerPoint or Keynote or whatever. Uh, this, this is, is all. This is how to avoid death by PowerPoint. Yeah, tips tips from the trenches. Okay. I call it presentation mojo, you know. All right. And uh, I'm no genius on this. I learned a lot of the stuff just from doing it wrong and watching people fall asleep and watching other people do it wrong. Um, you know, we've talked about too many bullets and too that's, many. Too, that's the worst right there. Too, many, too much text. I, I think that, you know, I kind of went over this on my soapbox earlier, but don't put your speech on the screen and read it to people. That's like the worst thing you could ever do. If you're going to do that, then just don't do a presentation or don't do a, a keynote. Just skip it because people will resent you for it. The, it's telling them that they're too stupid to read the screen. I mean, that's not why you do it. I think the reason people do it is because they're afraid that they're going to forget. But what the audience gets from that is they think I'm so stupid that they have to read this to me and they resent it. Um, you know, so don't read to the screen. Uh, don't read the screen, to the audience, uh, if you're going to use diagrams, keep them simple. And, you know, remember, and this is something I always have to remind myself because I'm a lawyer, you know, I get into these weird complex lawsuits and I spend two years dealing with the minutia of this thing. And then I get in front of 12, you know, licensed drivers in California. And you, it's easy to assume that they have as much knowledge of this as you do, but they don't, and they don't really even care that much, you know? So you need to break it down for them and you need to do all the hard work. You need to take the advantage of all the time you spent, no matter what you're talking about, whether it's the law case, or you're trying to sell something or give something to your local Mac group. Think about, you know, what do they need to take from this? And you need to do the hard work for them and put it together in a real simple to show, you know, presentation where the slides enhance what you're saying. Um, and, and, you know, just be smart about it, you know, keep the pacing right. Don't have goofy colors and too many words. Was it, I think it was Guy Kawasaki, but I'm not sure somebody once said, and I thought this was brilliant. Never have a point size in your presentation that is smaller than one half of the age of the oldest person in the audience. Hmm. I think it's great, you know, because it's so true. I mean, you get up there and they've got like 12 points on the screen and, you know, I'm squinting at, I can't read it. I'm 40 years old. You know, <laughs> you, you got to keep those words short and to the point. I mean, usually when I have words on a, on a slide, it, it's usually one or two words, you know, it's, it's nothing else. I mean, if nothing, it's just a signpost thing to give me something to talk about them. I want them to focus on me. One thing I mentioned is, is you talked about not using wacky colors. And what I, what I took from that is not using distracting colors, not using colors that don't complement each other. But I think another thing you need to keep in mind is also keep in mind that Things don't necessarily look on a large screen the way that they look on your computer screen. You know, we've got these gorgeous, depending on your model, you know, bright LED screens that are gorgeously color calibrated. Um, and depending on where you're giving your presentation, and especially if you're not familiar with the equipment, you may be in not the best lit room, you may be on an old projector, you may not have the best equipment. I just gave a presentation again at my local Mac user group last week. Um, and I was talking about Apple's music-related announcements, and I'm using this uh, Apple, you know, classic Steve Jobs gradient keynote background, and I throw a picture of the Apple TV in, you know, big, bold, almost the full size with one or two points next to it. I think I had the price and the availability date or something uh, on this keynote presentation, and you could not see it. Because I don't know if you're familiar, you know, the current Apple TV is, you know, almost hockey puck black 
and the the presentation projector that we were using was older and the screen just was not bright and it looked gorgeous on my screen but when I turned around and looked at it behind me on the the keynote on the presentation screen that everybody else was seeing it was just completely washed out so. new apple tv with built-in invisibility yeah with invisibility shield yeah nice so, so something yeah. else to keep in mind and just be smart about it i mean outline it plan it i mean if you look at studies people learn a lot more uh, when you combine audible information with visual information, there's just, there's no doubt about it. And uh, the statistics are, are stunning how much longer and how much better people get things when you present it to them visually, as opposed to just sitting there and telling it to them. Uh, so use the, take advantage of that and use those slides behind you to visualize what you're saying. Not, not just type the words, but put a visual up there. And, you know, everybody's got war stories. And, you know, I've given a lot of presentations over the years. But a lot of times my best slides may be just a picture of a broken tricycle or, you know, something really strange. But if you tie it into what you're talking about, um, people get that. And so often I've had people afterwards say that, oh, now when you, when you had that, you know, when you went up there and you did that thing with the dead grass, oh, I totally got that, you know. And that made sense to me. And for the rest of the, the case, I always was thinking in those terms. And that's exactly what you want to do. You want to have the pictures, simple graphs, simple words that, that enhance what you're saying. So um, you look at it as, as making what you're saying better, not replacing what you're saying. And, and you're going to be in good shape. You know, just, and the other thing is just practice. You know, practice, practice. Don't, don't stop. It's so easy when you make these things to hear the perfect speech in your mind as you're creating this presentation. And in your mind, you know it's going to sound great. And if anybody listens to this show, they understand how I screw things up from my brain to my lips all the time. And I know in my mind I have an eloquent way to say something, and it just doesn't come out right because I don't practice this show. I just sit down and kind of record it. But when I give a presentation, man, those, I, I practice every nuance of that speech. I give it in the shower. I give it driving in traffic. I give it to any family member that will you know, do it without throwing objects at me. Uh, I just keep giving it over and over again and I get it down. And then by the time I give to the actual presentation, it sounds real smooth, but it's, it's not because I'm just naturally that way. It's because I just won't stop practicing until I get it right. Absolutely. I remember once I was, um, I was giving a big trial in a case kind of far away from where I live and I was getting on the on-ramp to drive home the, the last day of evidence and I was going to give my closing the next day. And it was really hot. It was in Riverside. If anybody's ever in California, it gets really hot out there in the summer. And so I had the windows down and I'm giving my closing statement and I'm, and we have these stop stoplights at the on-ramps to the freeway. So, you know, the traffic is regulated and I'm giving it, I'm thinking I'm just like nailing it. And I look to the right and there's two members of the jury in a car right next to mine. <laughs> and, and both of our windows are down and they're looking at me and they're giggling. And I'm like, Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> Did you have to report that to the judge? Oh. You know, it's like, Oh man, you know, <laughs> but I don't care. Just give it, a, you know, get through it. And I know that sounds crazy. And you're going to feel like, well, I did it twice. I'm good. It doesn't matter when you get in front of that room of people, unless you just have that thing drilled into your skull, you're going to have troubles. So practice it as much as you can. And, and you know, I knew you were prepared. And, and at the end, just smile and keep going no matter what. If your computer starts smoking and the screen goes bad, whatever, the process of practicing, you'll be able to get through it no matter what happens. Yeah. Never let them see you sweat. Never. Okay. That's enough about presentations with Keynote. Let's uh, talk about our last sponsor, Naval Labs. Our last sponsor is Naval Labs. And, boy, I got to get cracking because um, 
I just came home with uh, four new books this past weekend, so uh, I really need to take advantage of their first app, which is Read More. Uh, and basically what Read More does uh, is it helps you track your reading sessions. So uh, you enter the information that you have about your book, um, and you talk to it, you tell a little bit of information about the book, you know, what's the book you can put in the author information and you can put in books about it, how many pages are in the book. And then, uh, you track as you read, um, you can jot down notes if you want. You say, this is the page I start on. This is the page that I finished on. Um, and it will give you some feedback about it. It will tell you where you are in the book. It will give you, um, uh, tell you about how many pages you're reading and give you estimated times of um, when you're going to finish or or how far you have to go or if you're ever going to finish. And um, I need to do something because I'm, I'm now having to scroll to see the multiple books that I'm reading. I've got so many started at the same time. So... Um, it's good, but I'm never finishing any books, so I probably need to to focus on on just a few rather than keeping starting and putting down so many books. But um, I'm really liking the app. I think I think I'm reading a little more because of it, um, and I think this is a great app for students, especially now that school is back in session. They probably have required reading and reading lists and books that they have to read on certain deadlines for school. So we're geeks. We like to track things. We like to chart things and. Uh, hey, anything that gets you reading more, gets your kids reading more, in my mind, is is easily worth the $1.99 price of admission. So uh, take a look at the Read More application. It kind of turns it into a game in a way. Yeah. And uh, the other great app from Naval Labs is Pomodoro Timer. It's a simple app. What it does, it's $0.99, cents and it's a little tomato timer based on the Pomodoro technique, productivity technique. And if you find yourself getting distracted easily or at work having trouble getting through big projects, you set the timer for 25 minutes and just promise yourself you're not going to let anything distract you for those 25 minutes. And once you get through it, you get a satisfying ding. It works really great with the iPhone 4 and multitasking. And then you get five minutes off and then you can go goof off for five minutes before you, you, you focus again. It's a great way to kind of kickstart productivity and, and get yourself off of that those bad habits of you know going around frantically from one thing to the next and not really getting anything done. Uh, you can get that in the App Store, Pomodoro Timer, and we'd like to thank Naval Labs for supporting us. Um, the, you know, they have. Go ahead. I was just going to say you can find more information about their products. You can either search for them on iTunes, or you can find out all about them on their website at NavalLabs.com. That's N-A-V-E-L-L-A-B-S.com. We'd like to thank them for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. So we've got a lot of follow-up. Uh, we didn't do any follow-up last episode with Andy Anotko uh, because we typically don't do them on our feedback shows. But first off, we got a lot of follow-up on the Andy episode, just mainly people saying that they enjoyed hearing from Andy. And uh, we'll get into some of the specifics later. But uh, wasn't that a fun show to do? Yes. yes. Mac people are just nice in general. And most of these Mac people we get in here for these episodes are, are just fun to be with. And you learn something along the way. Yeah. Um, we, we have heard the feedback saying, hey, you know, Dave and Katie, it's great and all, but all you're talking about is writers, and we need more. So yeah, we we we've gotten our fair share of uh, Mac writers, Mac reviewers recently, and you know, with Merlin and Jason and Andy and uh, um, you know, Dan, Dan, but you know, Dan doesn't really do the same thing that Merlin and Jason and Andy do. Merlin yeah. and Jason and Andy all kind of do the same thing. 
Okay, so we're working on it. We've got some interesting people, and uh, so we'll have some more of those episodes in the future, and we won't make it all writing-focused. And, and if you've got suggestions for who you would like us to feature on these workflow episodes, shoot us an email and let us know. If you know interesting people that you would like them to be on our show, let them know. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about some of the feedback on the specific uh, issues on the photography episode. Okay. So you heard about uh, Puka delicious well that wasn't on the photography episode that was actually on our Andy Anatko episode well, that's yes, right that's right Kurt wrote us and uh, one of the things that I commented on with our Andy Anatko episode was is that I've never really figured out how to make delicious work um, because it was just so overwhelming to me and I, I seem to always have so many things in delicious that I didn't quite know what to do with it uh, and Kurt wrote in and he talked about this great program called Puka and it's at codesorcery.net uh, we'll put a link in the show note but it does seem to solve that problem. And uh, we'll put a link, and it's got a, a little introductory video about what Puka does. But it basically tags and organizes and categorizes all these delicious bookmarks and makes them really easy to find and really easy to use. So I'm, I, it's something that I'm definitely going to check out, and I think will actually um, make delicious worthwhile to use for me. Now, it is shareware. It is $16.95, but uh, it, it's really kind of like Spotlight and Launch Bar for delicious. Yeah, we also heard from Jim asking about Lightroom, saying that, you know, we didn't give Lightroom enough coverage in the photography episode. And I agree, you know, we just didn't cover it because neither one of us are big Lightroom users. But Lightroom is Adobe's uh, version of, of Aperture, essentially. I know it's got some things that are better and some things that are worse, and a lot of people love it. So if you're, you know, looking for high-end photography uh, software on the Mac, you definitely want to take a look at Lightroom. I think both Lightroom and Aperture have free trials, so... Kick the tires yourself and you know, see what works for you. Right. Uh, different Jim wrote us in about iPhoto Library Manager. And I think we talked about these types of products, but we didn't specifically name this one. Um, but it's it's one that I've used before. Uh, but if you do decide to use multiple iPhoto libraries for whatever reason, whether it makes iPhoto different to man, uh, easier to manage, or if you put certain things in one library or certain things in another library, um, iPhoto Library Manager is an easy application that will let you switch quickly from one library to another, rename libraries, make copies of them. You know, so for example, I know some people who have separate iPhoto libraries for graphics versus of iPhoto library for photos. One iPhoto library for work related stuff, one photo iPhoto library uh, for home related stuff. So um, I definitely have used iPhoto Library Manager in the past, and it's a f simple little application that that works well as advertised. Yeah, it's also useful if you have a space problem on your drive, like if you have just a laptop and you want to just like archive a library off for the last five years and then start it. Right. That way you can get into it later, keep it on an external drive. And then um, there's Picasa. Yes, you know, we got a lot of email from people saying that we didn't talk about Picasa. I think Max was the first one to write in about it. And, uh, you know, I agree. It's a great service. It's Google's image service. Uh, I think that's just kind of a an effect of the fact that Katie and I both are mobile me subscribers, so we're trying to, you know, milk every penny out of that service that we can. So we use Got to do something me. with it. Yeah. And I also, uh, you know, use some of the other services, but I'm not a big Picasso user. I know they have some interesting editing tools built in. It's it's Google, so it's free. And uh, you can check that out as well for your online photo management. Yeah. We didn't all, Also, we didn't talk about the, um, the Adobe Photoshop online service, which is kind of starting to grow, it's, which is a similar type service where it's got basic editing and storage tools built in. Right. Alistair wrote in with a couple of different points. I'm just going to 
hit on the highlights. You know, he makes a point to each their own about throwing away photos and that he read an article somewhere where it says, I guess Time Magazine um, made an argument saying that you should never throw away a single photo because even though it may look like trash, it may end up being a photo of someone famous or the last photo that you've ever taken of them. Um, you know, I, that's probably true. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just... I, I can't keep all of that stuff around. So, but but the point is well taken that that storage is cheap, and if you if you did discard that photo that you really wish that you had kept, you know, boy, do you wish you had. But yeah, um, so that is something worth considering, especially in iPhoto. Now you can hide a photo instead of actually deleting it, so that if you know if something like that concerns you, you can always hide it instead of deleting it. He also got on David a little bit for not bothering to keyword your photo, and I guess it really goes back to depending on whether your photos are more of events or whether you're the type of person who takes um, more occasional type pictures of things. Um, well, I think he makes I, a he makes a really good point. He says, "Look, you yeah. know, if you." If you're taking a lot of pictures, they don't necessarily fit in keywords. And in fact, I have this problem. I get because I'm taking pictures at stuff that it doesn't really justify a separate event. And what I always do is I make for every month I'll have like I'll have a, a folder or an event called, you know, September fun, everything October fun. So everyone and I just put everything in there that doesn't really fit. You know, if we went to the park and flew a kite, I may put that in there as opposed to giving a separate event. So it's really kind of goofy the way I do it and keywords would make more sense, but I'm inherently lazy and there you have it. Right. Um, and then he also just pointed out that there are several of these portable hard drives that, that do have little screens built into them. So you could see your photos, um, while you're putting them on the hard drive. So that's uh, pretty, I've never really played with one of those, but I think that's a, a great feature. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course we, he talks about, um, iPhoto and Aperture and, and Flickr integration, but I think we've got a couple other emails on point about that too. So we'll we'll move yeah. on. Uh, I think that you know the Flickr integration with Aperture works pretty darn good. I mean, for my limited use. Well, okay. The the good news about Flickr, as um, Giles brings up, is that another benefit from using Flickr is that it does kind of serve as a secondary cloud backup for all of your images if you upload everything to Flickr. Yeah, that's true. If your hard drive eats it and your backup fails or whatever. If you've got it on Flickr, you can at least get a version of them back. Speaking of which, we just have to share this story because it can never be shared enough that these things happen. We did get an email from Julian out of the blue uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he says, I recently listened to your backup episode, which was one of our earlier episodes, I think, that we did. Over a year ago, I'm sure. These old episodes do have a lot. God, have we been podcasting for a year? I think more than a year now. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's he's making his way through the archives. So if you haven't, there there's still some great content in those old episodes. That's one of the things I like about this show is that, you know, that backup episode, I think, is still as relevant today as it was when we recorded it. But uh, I guess we scared him. And he went out and, and bought uh, external hard drive and super duper and made a clone backup. Good for you, Julian. Because he said literally the day later, his hard drive failed. And uh, he's been using his Mac booted from that super-duper backup for a week now. He's got a Genius Bar appointment to get it replaced. And he says thank you for saving his Mac life. Amen, Julian. Oh, my goodness. Julian. (laughs) Great, great, great. Good good uh, for you. But, man, cutting it close. Yeah. (laughs) Now, let's talk about redundancy. Yeah, exactly. You've got one version working now, so make sure you get that copied. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, so that's enough. We're going to do uh, more comments on the next show. Uh, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about contact. How can you find us? Well, there's our website at uh, www.macpowerusers.com. And you, you can, can also- find our show notes and everything we talked about. All those links we've been talking about eventually end up there. Yes, and you can get us uh, on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter name is MacPowerUsers. Send us a message there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also email us at feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. That will go to both of us, and uh, you may get a response from one of us. You may get a response from both of us, but usually at least one of us responds. Okay, and uh, talk about Google Voice. Google Voice, yes, we do have a Google Voice number, and it's it's a, it's kind of important coming up with our next episode. Um, but you can send us a Google Voice message to seven zero six four five power. That's seven zero six four five seven six nine three seven. Uh, or there's a link on our website that you can click and put in your phone number, and Google Voice will actually call you. So if that's a long-distance number, it will save you the long distance. Uh, and you can leave us a voicemail. That voicemail then gets emailed to us. I think it says an MP3, uh, and we can do with it what we will. And what will we do with it? Well, our next episode is going to be our very first Q&A episode. We've got some content for this already, um, but if you have a question that you haven't sent in yet, feel free to send it in. Um, It doesn't have to be on a specific topic. It can be a comment, a tip, or a question. But the idea of this Q&A episode is we get a lot of feedback that we can't cover on any specific episode. So we're going to try to group it into categories so that we can cover a handful of of categories in a specific Q&A episode so that we're not all across the board. Um, but the idea is basically if you if you have a question for us, something that is maybe not enough to warrant its own show, but something that we haven't covered in another episode, this is the opportunity to do so. Yeah, and uh, you can send it in, send us an email if you'd like, but we'd really prefer if you left a message because, you know, get tired it's of it. It's more interesting. Message. And when I get some, hear from some of the listeners, so it's an experiment. We're going to try it for an episode and see how it works out. If everybody likes it, we'll we'll add it in once in a while. It's not going to be a regular thing, but you know we're going to do it occasionally, just like we do the workflows episodes once in a while. So let's give it a shot, see how it goes. Yeah, and and my hope is we'll end up with a couple of broad topics in a Q and A episode as opposed to twenty five random questions. Yes. So that's that's my hope. Okay. Um, so if you've got a question, if you've got a comment, um, send them in, and, and I will go through all of those in about a week or so and put together the the outline for the next show, and we'll we'll see how it shakes out. And finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors for Smile, uh, makers of PDF Pen Five, which you can get at SmileSoftware.com. Yeah. Also, One Password, who recently renewed their sponsorship. So thank you for sticking with us, makers of One Password, available at onepassword.com. And we'd like to finally thank Naval Labs, N A V E L L A B S dot com, makers of the Pomodoro timer and uh, read more app. Read more app, exactly. Well, thanks everybody. I uh, hope you learned something about the presentation. Sound off in the comments, send us an email if you've got some other ideas. We'd love to hear them. And see you next time.